This is Bucks First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. What is the Republican Party going to do? What does it mean to be a Republican today? These are all questions that people are posing with some frequency, considering that we've had a rough go of it the last few months, haven't we? Let's just all say it. It has not been what we were planning on. Donald Trump is not president anymore. Democrats have control of the House and the Senate. You know how this all goes. And we haven't heard from Trump in a while. And that has meant that the media has been able to construct this narrative of a Republican Party that is about to either go into tremendous fracture, a a GOP civil war, as they're calling it, or that will just start to fade into irrelevancy. Donald Trump showed up at CPAC. I was down there in Florida. And and here's what he said about what it means right now for the GOP. What is the GOP? Play 16. The future of the Republican Party is as a party that defends the social, economic, and cultural interests and values of working American families of every race, color, and creed. That's why the party is growing so rapidly and it's becoming a different party and it's becoming a party of love. You have to see outside the streets. I mean, there's such love. The flag. Party of love. That was Trump being Trump. But I do think that that ultimately we should start to embrace the idea that the Republican Party is about making this country better for all people and that our ideas are, in fact, rooted in care and consideration for our fellow human beings, right? I I want safer streets for everybody. I want better and cheaper health care options for everybody. I I want things in this country to be working well for all the American people. I I don't have an us versus them mentality. I have a what's best for all of us mentality. I, I think that Republicans shouldn't shy away from verbalizing that because the other side says Republicans are racist, they're classist, they're evil, they're misogynist, you know, they're xenophobic. They have all these things they always say. And that's actually the opposite of what the Republican Party is all about. That's the opposite of what it means to be a conservative. I also agree with the great Ronald Reagan when he says when he would say and this was not a one off that you shouldn't walk away from from the term Republican and, and, and only embrace conservative. Conservatism is the belief. That's the ideology. But the home, the vessel for conservatism in America today is the Republican Party. And if you're wondering, what do we stand for? What's the point of it all? And I, I get that frustration. I know we see what's going on with Biden and, you know, Hyden, Biden, He's out of the basement now in the White House, but he might as well be in the basement. No leadership, no vision, just a bunch of leftists around him that are that are actually pushing the levers and, and making the making the, the the calls that the progressives want him to. And we look at all this and you say, what what are we here for? Why? Why do we exist? We exist because this country deserves a better future than what the Democrats can give it. The conservatives exist because we look at history and we look at what has happened And we make decisions based upon what we think is the best and most rational evidence of what will be best for all of us. And a simple way to put this, I mean, we don't have to get overly eloquent about any of this. We're going to say somebody's got to stand in the way of the crazy. Maybe that's the best way to say it. Somebody's got to tell the other side, sorry, you're not going to just get 
to run us off the cliff, hitting the accelerator full speed without at least some folks telling you, what are you doing? Stop. This is a bad idea. This will be destructive. Don't do this. Right. Whether it's the absurd, ideologically driven anti-science attacks on fossil fuel, the continuation of the lockdown mania that we've seen. The, uh, you know, complete repudiation from the Democrats of so many lessons that we've already learned about what works and what doesn't work when it comes to public policy, how we can actually make people safer on the streets. Here's the answer. Not by blaming cops. That's step one is stop blaming the cops. They're not the ones committing the crimes. They're not the reason that people are getting shot in urban areas of the country at higher rates now than they have in a long time. And we had a huge spike in crime over the last year during the pandemic year, of course. There's so much going on right now, and it's it's incumbent upon us. It's conservatives role right now to say, what are you doing, crazy left? What are you doing? Stop it. And here's why. Here's a better way. They may not listen to us, and they probably almost certainly won't, but we still have to say it. We need it to be clear to people there's an alternative because we are going to get control back. We are going to be at a better future. It will happen. I know right now we're at a little bit of a, of a low point, right? The Republican Party feels like, what the heck is going on? Now, you can listen to some people in the GOP who will tell you not a single state house got flipped in the last election. We gained seats in the House, but Nancy Pelosi is still speaker and they still have a majority. Uh, we are 50-50 in the Senate. You know, they can put a, a happy face on it. But come on, folks, we needed to maintain control of the Senate. It was it was crazy that we lost both those Georgia Senate seats. I mean, there there were some blunders and we had an incumbent president who lost. And we can talk about why and, and what the other side did and everything else. But at the end of the day, Joe Biden is president. Donald Trump is not. This is disappointing, but it's not the end. It's not a uh, a moment of panic that we should have. OK, this is, in fact, just the period in which we're going to see people coming together. They're talking about GOP civil war. I think you're going to see GOP consolidation. Yeah, Donald Trump said maybe he will run again. He, he teased the idea of running again. Uh, he said he, he might win for a third time. But here's what's very clear. Trump is engaged. The people around him are engaged and the movement will continue. It's not over. It's not going away. This is what I was saying the day after the election in November. The ideas continue. The lessons learned from the last four years continue. Here's what what the former president says Trumpism actually means. Play 18. It means low taxes and eliminating job killing regulations. Trumpism. It means strong borders, but people coming into our country based on a system of merit. So they come in and they can help us as opposed to coming here and not being good for us, including criminals, of which there are many. It means no riots in the streets. It means law enforcement. Those are all good things, aren't they? Law enforcement, no riots. And notice, no riots. We don't approve of some riots and not others. No riots. No use of force for political means taken into the hands of mobs. Never acceptable. We have principles, unlike the left. They just have whatever achieves power in a short-term sense. That's what their focus is always on. 
strong borders, no riots in the streets, low taxes. These are all very viable paths for this country. And I, I have to remind everybody that we were in a fluke year. We were in a once in a century pandemic. That's just a fact. And the incumbent president lost. Now, yes, I believe very strongly that if Donald Trump had run for reelection in, say, the fall of 2019, based on the decisions, the actual governance, he would have won. But that wasn't the that wasn't the hand we were dealt. That's not what we that's not what we had to go back into the election cycle with. And so we did the best we could with what we had. It was a very difficult year and the media lied so much about what was going on and continue to. And I'm going to tackle that in a moment. But I'm here to just tell you, stay in the fight and stay focused. Being with all those conservatives at CPAC, listening to them, talking to them, hearing those speakers for days. And then, of course, Trump's speech at the very end. It was a reminder of what the conservative movement means in America, what we're trying to accomplish now, what the stakes are, of course, and that there are millions and millions of us across the country who don't think that, you know, canceling Keystone XL is a good idea, don't want open borders, don't blame the cops for the crime that criminals commit, uh, don't think that big government and the state control of every aspect of your life and every aspect of the economy will be good for any of us. We're here, folks, and we're just get we're just getting going. Now, the machinery on our side is mobilizing and the Biden squad. Those folks are all going to have to find themselves playing a whole lot of defense. And it's going to be much more challenging than I think they realized when they were popping the champagne corks back in November. Trump reminded us of all of that and more, whether he's the nominee or it's someone else in four years. It doesn't matter. This is about conservatism this is about a trumpian approach or you know trump tactics in the pursuit of conservative policies and how to wage a successful opposition for the hearts and minds of the american people at this point in time and we have the tools we have great messengers we have fantastic results in the state of florida to show and so now now begins that work two years the midterms it's going to go by in a flash we do the work of speaking the truth about America here every day. We all do it. That's our mission. That's our plan. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And in one of his first official acts, which was incredible because, again, he talked about energy. He never said he was going to do this. He canceled the Keystone XL pipeline, destroying... <laughs> Not the 8,000 or the 9,000 or the 11,000 jobs that you hear, but 42,000 great paying jobs on just about day one, right? He never talked about that during a debate because he wouldn't have gotten away with it. Well, he would have because they cheated so much it probably wouldn't have done. That's just one example of what I've been telling you since Biden came, in, came into office now, that they told us that it was good old blue-collar Joe the moderate, the centrist, you know, no, no big deal. And what we've gotten, of course, is somebody who doesn't really differ all that much from what any other Democrat that ran. I mean, remember, they had like a cast of thousands running in that Democrat primary. They had to have 
two, uh, they had to have two different stages, two debate nights for one phase of the debate because they had so many people running. And what you're getting with with Biden is essentially just a, another doctrinaire left wing Democrat. This is not a surprise. There, there's nothing about this that anybody should should have said, wait a second. Yeah, of course they lied. Of, of course, they presented Joe Biden as, as the cuddly old grandpa for America. And that's not really who he is, because it doesn't matter who Joe Biden is. He's just a placeholder. He's just the Trojan horse. And unfortunately, the horse got into the gates and now Troy is burning. But no, that's right. we'll be OK. Well, we're going to rebuild it. It's going to be fine. Trump was really hammering Biden, which is pretty easy to do, because as I've said to you, if there were trade offs in these Biden policies where there was a very clear, a very clear benefit for the American people, not for a special interest group, not for some ideologically motivated uh, segment of the population that writes big checks to Democrats. If there was something that was good, you know, uh, but but then you could see the drawback of it. I would say so. So much of what Biden has done is just bad across the board. And Trump at CPAC pointed that out. Play 17. His campaign was all lies, talked about energy. I thought I said, you know, this guy actually he's OK with energy. He wasn't OK with energy. Wants to put you all out of business. He's not okay with energy. He wants windmills, the windmills. The windmills that don't work when you need them. Joe Biden has had the most disastrous first month of any president in modern history. That's true. Already the Biden administration has proven that they are anti-jobs, anti-family, anti-borders, anti-energy, anti-women and anti-science. In just one short month, we have gone from America first to America last. From America first to America last. What has the Biden administration done so far where you'd say, you know what, taking the politics out of it, I really see the merit and wisdom in that. In fact, you know, the only thing that some people might point to would have been Democrats in Congress pushing for the minimum wage, even though, as we all know, the minimum wage does not work the way that Democrats think it does or, or, or does not function in practice the way they believe it will. In theory, it does cause a lot of people to lose their jobs. It does cause a lot of people to get their hours cut back. Some people see I'm honest about this. Some people do benefit from a higher mandatory minimum wage, but other people lose jobs. Other people lose access to work. It's fascinating. Some Democrats are even pointing out that this would be a hurdle for uh, for low wage illegal immigrants. Oh, my gosh. What do we do if the minimum wage is higher? There'll be less desire or less ability, I should say, for employers to illegally hire illegal immigrants. So that, that's where Democrats heads are. Notice they always have this concern, uh, this concern for illegal immigrants ahead of Americans who are unemployed. Ahead of what it does to the wage scale, it's very straightforward. Supply and demand. More workers who can do a job, less money you're going to get for those workers. It's, it's, this is, this is a, a law of basic economics. This is, this is basic economics in practice. Uh, but Democrats think that they can get around that, that it doesn't really count. Somehow there's some other way. Uh, but, you know, Biden, everything he's done in the first month in office, you look at it and you say, who's making these decisions? What's the point of, oh, rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement? 
These are the things that Democrats come into power. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We've got all these idiotic lockdown policies, all these mask mania absurdities abounding all over the place. People get mad at me when I say that. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. It makes a lot of sense that every restaurant I went to in Florida, uh, I had to mask up as I walked in and then sit down and take my mask off. There's a lot of science. People seem to believe there's science behind that, that there's some kind of safety reason for it. If you believe that that is is for your safety, there's no reason why the government can't make you do 100 jumping jacks every day whenever you go outside because it's good for your heart health. The government can make you do anything. No matter how dumb, no matter how ridiculous, well, that probably actually would be good for your heart health overall, but I hate jumping jacks. This is absurd. It's absurd. Um, but uh, the, the Biden presidency that we've seen so far is as I thought it would be. And now uh, Trump started his speech by saying, did you miss me? That's that's how he started the speech. Did you miss me? And I think America is going to figure out pretty soon, especially here's my here's my prediction. They're going to slow the reopening, but as it starts to reopen, then they're really going to realize the full extent of the damage of the lockdowns and how much spending has gone on. And we're going to hit really rough economic times in the next six to 12 months. And then Democrats are going to do the opposite of what they did. They're going to be desperately blaming Trump for the economy when Biden's actually making the decisions. Just like they were desperately trying to give Obama credit for Trump's economy, they're going to do everything they can to make the Biden economy the Trump economy. That's my prediction. Let's see. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. And I want you to know that I'm going to continue to fight right by your side. We will do what we've done right from the beginning, which is to win. We're not starting new parties. You know, they kept saying, he's going to start a brand new party. We have the Republican Party. It's going to unite and be stronger than ever before. I am not starting a new party. That was fake news. Fake news, no. Wouldn't that be brilliant? Let's start a new party and let's divide our vote so that you can never win. No, we're not interested in that. No new party united in the Republican Party. And we, we're going to figure it out. Right now, it's about the movement, the ideas, and mobilizing. That's where we are as Republicans, as conservatives. And Trump is going to be right there along with us. It may not be Trump who ends up being the standard bearer in four years. I know the, the CPAC straw poll had him as the overwhelming favorite to to run again. But then there's also uh, DeSantis and and Nome being talked about as as contenders. And I think that the president will see where we are, how things go. Four years at his age is a long time. That's just the truth. I mean, I know you'd say, what about Joe Biden? Yeah. Joe Biden's too old for the job, folks. He's actually too old to be doing this. Nancy Pelosi, too old for the job. I, I, I'm not going to do what Democrats do and have two sets of standards here. You know, Trump is is right on the edge, right on the edge of just physically, folks. I, I, I understand he's got tremendous energy, but we're talking about four years from now. Guy's going to be, what, 77 going on 78? It's asking a lot. By the way, I hope President Trump, you know, lasts another 30 years 
and, uh, you know, is in great health and can run for president again in four years. And that may very well be the case. But I'm saying we don't know. Nobody's got a crystal ball. And four years is a long, is a is a lifetime in politics. The most the most cliched phrase you'll ever hear. Oh, it's a lifetime in politics. Right. That and it all comes down to turnout on Election Day. Yeah, no kidding. Whoever scores more points on the board is going to win the game. Yes. Also true. Uh we, we need to know what we're trying to accomplish now, what we're trying to do as a party. That's what matters. Now, we need to be making the argument, building platforms. There is a rebuilding that needs to go on here. We need to make sure that we can't get silenced again. Remember, they pulled off the silencing in the election. They covered for Hunter Biden. They shut down the New York Post story, an entirely true story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, they were able to do that, and they suffered no consequences. We need them to actually, we need the social media companies to at least think twice. And then eventually we need to break them up and we need to treat them as the monopolies they are and we need to break them into tiny little pieces. People say, oh no, but it won't be as good for consumers. Really? You don't think, you don't think anybody else can come up with like a email or search engine or, you know, little chat boxes and things like, you don't think anyone else is, trust me, it'll be fine. All right. It'll be fine. You know, the, the, the reason that our flat screen TVs right now, I'm, I'm maybe going to get a new flat screen because mine has gone crazy. It's like possessed by a demon. Uh, the reason that you can get a you know 55 inch uh, flat screen TV for three hundred dollars now that I mean, 15 years ago or 10 years ago would have cost you four grand or 10 grand or something crazy. The reason is because of competition among many different companies. So it works everywhere else. But somehow the social media companies have convinced you the best way is for there to only be one player. That's the best for consumers. Amazon, too. That's what's best for you. It's clearly not. Now, I wanted to focus for, for a little bit on, on the Florida aspect of this because being at CPAC, and I, I would say, uh, first off, I want to thank everybody who was there who was uh, who was at CPAC and who was willing to come up and, and talk to me and, and say hi it means a lot. It was great to see this. It was great to see people who share my beliefs, values, who in many cases listen to the show. So there was a lot of a lot of team buck in the house, and that was fantastic. Um, but being in in Florida was also you you could feel that there is a sense that this is now a movement unto itself, that there are more and more Republicans who will be moving to Florida, that there are more and more Republicans who are deciding that that's going to be, and, and I'm, I hate to say it, because I, I, I had some, some folks from, uh, from Austin, Texas, who are listening to the show, listening on KLBJ in Austin. They came up to me to talk to me. Texas, Governor Abbott uh, has really missed an opportunity here. Uh, it feels like the leadership of the Republican Party is firmly now in the same way that California, New York is a close second, but California feels like the homeland of the Democrat Party. Uh, that's what that's what Florida is becoming for the Republican Party. And now we're not as it's not as red as California is blue, but I think that's I think that's changing a bit. I'll, I'll also tell you that I t did experience at a few of the, the bars because, you know, there's CPAC parties and things. A very different attitude there. I mean, you walk in and, and I'm being honest with you. you. You walk into these places and they will tell you to put a mask on, but they're they're generally very polite about it. 
they're generally very nice. They're like, excuse me, could you put, you know, no one's yelling at you and acting like you're actually killing grandma because they saw you without a mask on. Um, but it's, it's fascinating to see how people just took them off when they went inside and then nobody, there was no anxiety about it because people around them, the, the individuals around them are, you know, the people around them have not been completely brainwashed into the, into states of terror. They're not feeling like if you breathe, if you breathe near them, you're going to kill them. And that's the way the whole country should be. So it was interesting to see it in, in Florida specifically. It w- it's still stunning to me how many people believe there's a sound scientific basis for the no masks while you eat, but mask up when you walk in policies that are in so many states, including New York, where I am now. I mean, the willingness of millions to enthusiastically evangelize this kind of authoritarian absurdity has really exceeded any and all pre-COVID expectations. It's no, I, I, I don't know, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that's what we've, it, it's turned into, you can't even begin to justify this stuff. You, you can't even begin to make sense of it. But this is where we are as a country. And this is why when I see things like a on South on South uh, or no Spirit Airlines or Southwest it's Spirit Airlines, I believe it was. I don't know. One of those airlines, one of the kind of budget airlines, they uh, kicked off a I'm sorry, Frontier. I got to get it right. Frontier Airlines. If I'm going to call them out by name, I got to get it right. Frontier Airlines ejected a, an Orthodox Jewish family from a flight. There's video of it. For allegedly, and this is the story that's going around, failing to mask an 18-month-old baby. That's what we've turned into now as a country. We've turned into a country where where we're being told you have to mask up your 18-month-old, even though the CDC says masking under two years of age is unnecessary. That's the CDC guidance for anyone who cares. Notice that when the CDC guidance is what the lockdowners want, it is sacrosanct. But anytime they want to go beyond that, anytime they want to push for more, that's fine, too, even if it's in contradiction to the CDC guidance. So when they want it, you can't argue with it. But when it's not actually supported by the CDC, it's shut up and do what you're told. Uh, parents, this, this is up in Canada. Give you an idea of how far this can go. Uh, th- th- there, there has now been uh, up in Canada a series of guidelines in Toronto that have been offered up instructing parents to keep any children who have been sent home because they have a classmate who tested positive for COVID-19 isolated in a separate room from all other family members for 14 days. That's right. Canada now in Toronto is is advocating for people. Uh, the Peel Peel region schools. I don't even know what Peel is, but apparently it's part of part of Toronto. Uh, they want you to, to lock your kid in a separate room from the family and, and have no contact with family for 14 days because another kid in the class had it. You, you know that the, the spread of this virus is overwhelmingly, if, you, if someone spreads it, they spread it to one person. So there are a lot of people who have been around somebody with COVID and they never actually even got COVID. They didn't get it from them. It's, you know, we, we have fear has overtaken rationality on this subject in a way that's really hard to overstate, but. This is the the biggest fight, and you know I've been saying it now for a year. The biggest fight in this country is the fight to regain our liberty and to regain sanity from the lockdown left.
We got to do that. You, you want Donald Trump to win or another America first candidate to win in four years? You want that? You need to win this battle now, because if the lockdown left can get away with this, they can get away with anything. And they've conditioned the American people to believe that their freedom is just a suggestion, that the Constitution doesn't actually defend or protect their rights. It's only there during good times, not in the bad. That's not the way this is supposed to work. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So Mitch McConnell says Trump is morally responsible for January's Capitol siege, yet he also says he's willing to support him in a 2024 bid. Come on, Mitch. McConnell's only kissing the ring this week because Trump is about to come out of hiding, where he'll likely set the stage for that run next cycle. Tomorrow, the seditionist ex-president, a loser, I'll remind you, will headline the Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC. The event that started in the early 70s has always been viewed as a place for conservatives, some who've gone off the deep end, but at very least it was rooted in ideas. They talked about policies that could, in their opinion, make the country a better place. However, in the last several years, the conference has devolved into a cesspool of hatred, bigotry, and exclusionary garbage, a place where speakers rail on the country's most marginalized for simply striving to attain equal rights. I'm not a conservative, but I like conservatives, and I respect conservative ideology, even if I don't agree with it. But if I were a conservative, today's version of CPAC would offend me to my core. Not only was blatant prejudice on display this week, we also saw Missouri Senator Josh Hawley brag to the crowd about his rejection of the 2020 election results, which ultimately gave way to the insurrection on Capitol Hill and the deaths of five people. I'm sorry that you had to hear that, but I wanted you to know the kind of things that are being said at MSNBC by people who were not at CPAC, don't know what was going on at CPAC, don't care really what was going on at CPAC, because they just view it as, oh, a bunch of conservatives are together. Let's call it a, quote, cesspool of hatred, bigotry, and exclusionary garbage. Uh, This is just, this is idiotic slander. That's all. Uh, There's a lot of it about CPAC, and there are people that only show up. Think about this. It's a political conference, and there are people who show up there who know, who know that their job is to try to find one thing. They're there to attack. They're not there to report. They're there to attack. I was at CPAC for the whole conference, pretty much, close to the whole conference. And all I saw were a lot of people being completely you know, polite, friendly, decent to one another, excited to see each other, talking about ideas, listening to shows. That's all that I saw. That's what was going on. And yet, well, beyond that, what did they decide that they were going to focus on? I mean, the media? What were the people that are supposed to be reporting on this? You can't make this stuff up. That CPAC had a Nazi insignia as a stage. This is what they were saying. CPAC had it. The Odal or Othala rune, according to the Washington Post, which was emblazoned on some Nazi uniforms and the Anti-Defamation League has classified the insignia as a hate symbol. These these people are out of their minds. They're they're out of their minds. Yeah, okay, there is a thing called an I understand that there is a symbol, but I I had never before seen this, was not familiar with this. I'm somebody who reads a lot about World War II and finds it to be a fascinating period in history. So let's just start from this premise. 
Beyond the fact that at CPAC, there were a lot of really prominent Jewish speakers and attendees. And I mean, the whole thing is just nuts. I know it's so crazy that it's like, where do you start? But this is the Washington Post and others reporting on this. If they're making a symbol that they want to somehow show a an affinity for an allegiance to a certain ide- uh, to an ideology here of, of Nazism or white supremacy or whatever it is they're going to say. Wouldn't it have to be a symbol that somebody know- like somebody actually knows what it is? So start with that premise. If I don't even know what this thing is and I'm better read on the Second World War than 99 percent of the Washington Post staff and writers. Trust me when I say that they're stretching, that they're desperate. I mean, come on. And what I really want to know is is um, if this, you know, what we need to do now would be to find other other designs of stages that look like this. I'm sure there are plenty of them. It was ba- it, when you look at it, you go, yeah, they're just trying to use that space mo- as, most effectively or as effectively as they can. But, yes, it's a, it's an oodle rune, they say. Um, and wh- why would CPAC do that? Why, why would Matchlap and and the other top people running CPAC because they they have a fondness for the Nazi SS is the allegation. How how blanking stupid are the people reporting on this? But see, this this again shows you we want to share ideas and we're not even allowed to. We're not allowed to. They have to slander. They have to lie. They have to misrepresent what we're doing and what we're all about with things like this. And there's also part of this is, you know, we shouldn't even have to go find other stages that look like this. Is this a stage design that's been used at the Hyatt for other things? I'm willing to bet there's plenty of stages that have looked just like. But see, we're wasting time then. We already know that it's bull crap. So why do we have to? It's obviously garbage. So why do we have to waste our time then trying to even further prove that it's nonsense? Because they wanted to try to pressure Hyatt. You got to remember this. It's not enough. It's not enough for Democrats to have control of the government, to have control of the media, to have control of social media and Hollywood, and everything else. They want to make it impossible for you to physically gather with fellow conservatives, too. They want dominance and total control of the digital space, and they want dominance and total control of your ability to even gather in person. Freedom of assembly, I believe it is called in this old document that we're all supposed to care about a lot as Americans known as the Constitution. All right. I mean, isn't that something that we can all at least agree on? You know, isn't that something that we should all at least be able to say we can uh, see on? Our- nope. They wanted to attack Hyatt. They don't want CPAC to be able to meet anywhere. These people are these people are authoritarian cowards. This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, most governors shut down their states. What followed was record unemployment, businesses closed, most schools were shuttered, and communities suffered. And the U.S. economy came to an immediate halt. Now, let me be clear. COVID didn't crush the economy. Government crushed the economy. And then, just as quickly, government turned around and held itself out as the savior. And frankly, the Treasury Department can't print money fast enough to keep up with Congress's wish list. But not everyone has followed this path. 
For those of you who don't know, South Dakota is the only state in America that never ordered a single business or church to close. And yet we're told that if only we had listened more to the lockdowners, if only these states that had shut down so much like California had had their way even more so, we would all be better off. This is absurd. The data doesn't support it. But here's what you have to be prepared for. There is no future. There will never be a time in which it is the case that the people that were advocating for demanding. I should, there wasn't advocacy. It was demand. You do this because otherwise you're killing grandma. We're making you do this. Do this or we shut down your business. Lockdown or not only will we fine you, we will take away your liquor license. We will destroy your, your restaurant's ability to, to ever open. We'll make sure you're done. Lockdown or else. Right? They didn't convince. We didn't have a referendum. There wasn't a conversation. It was, this is an emergency. The house is on fire. You have to run. You have to run. Well, hold on a second. What? Maybe we can put the fire out. Maybe I don't have to abandon my home. No, you have to. It's, it's an emergency. That's what they did to us. And now you're able to look at what's actually happened with COVID all across the country. And you realize, oh, so they were demanding something that turned out to be a terrible idea. If lockdown is so obvious, if this is such a clear and effective solution to the problem of a, an aerosolized pandemic virus, why was all of the public health guidance before this contradictory to that? Why was it the consensus opinion since the Spanish flu of 1918 that we don't do that? We don't shut down society. We don't shut down businesses when there is an aerosolized virus that has a, uh, a high risk for certain groups in circulation. Right. They, they changed the consensus and then jumped all over you if you pointed out that a shifting consensus is inherently on shaky ground. They didn't care. Didn't matter. Look at Florida, look at South Dakota, look at these states. Understand this. They're going to try to line them up. They're going to line up for you now. And there's so much dishonesty right now about it. And, and, and you need to remember that, too. And, and the dishonesty is intentional. I, w- I want you to be clear about that. This was not something that has just happened sometimes. I mean, almost all the lockdown comparisons you'll see online now are so immensely sloppy in methodology as to be useless. And this is often intentional. But people will realize one day that most lockdowns were so haphazard, temporary and arbitrary as to render them useless in the long run. As in, there was almost no benefit. When you look at this on, a, on, on the, the full scope and scale of the infections across the country, almost no benefit from this whatsoever, if any. And in fact, there are some people who argue quite credibly could have made things worse given the situation of major American cities and what was going on. Remember, they talked to us like we were going to crush the virus and the level would go way, way, way down as a result of the most extreme stay-at-home orders. That never happened. Nowhere did that happen. What ended up happening was we would go into a more extreme lockdown and it would take months and it would finally go down where there was the extreme lockdown, whether it was New York or California or New Jersey or wherever. 
It would finally go down. And it was going down in other places that didn't have the extreme lockdown. You can just observe this and see what exactly is the benefit. If all those other places were also having massive declines in cases at the same time, what's the advantage of going into these self-induced economic comas, which is what we've been through? There was no benefit. There was no benefit. If it was saving lots and lots of lives, you could at least argue about what the, the costs and the drawback, but they didn't. Where were, show me how this saved lives. Remember, they're going to tell you, they'll say, well, you know, Florida and California, they'll try to find some comparison of those states as an example. They always give New York and New Jersey a pass. They got hit first. Okay, but they got hit. We all knew it was coming. Uh, they, they'll do a comparison, though, and they'll say, well, if you see here, Technically, this state, you know, did better than Florida and this state had lockdowns or something like that. But remember, this should be this should be an enormous and obvious benefit. Right. We weren't promised with with lockdowns the way they were set up in this country and and the people like Fauci and all the rest of them. We were not promised that it would be California that we were supposed to say, oh, gee, that's success. We were promised a situation like New Zealand. Where they have very, very, very low cases. But here's the problem with that. New Zealand is a very remote island or islands from most of the rest of the world with incredibly sparse population and absolutely hardcore lockdowns. Cannot leave your home enforced across the board for for months on end. That's an actual lockdown. And here's the thing. We weren't willing to do that. We weren't going to do that. And it wasn't possible for us to do that. So guess what? We had the worst of all worlds. Never really locked down and did not stay open in places like California. And to what end? To what benefit? Uh, nobody ever seems to have to answer that question. Huh? We're supposed to just sit around and assume that Fauci and all the rest of them knew what they were doing. It's absurd. It's absurd. I, I think that Fauci is... The greatest villain of the pandemic, the only person who comes close is Governor Cuomo. But Fauci, I think, is the single person most responsible for grotesquely politicizing the entire process and, and, and pretending that he was doing the opposite of that. The data. It's all about the data. And remember this, for those of you who think that I'm some kind of anti-mask zealot, and, I, and I, I am, let's be honest, I hate masks. I think it's awful. I think they're wildly, wildly overstated as a mechanism for virus control. Look at the infection rates among healthcare professionals. I know they're subjected to higher degree of virus, but okay, how effective are masks when you see that healthcare professionals have an infection rate compared to the general population that makes you think, okay, so, I mean, they're still, they're masking up perfectly professionally N95s and they're, Anyway, and again, it's not that it's zero. I can't say it's zero. I don't know. I mean, I know there's studies that show this and that and that say, OK, but is it yeah, how effective are we really supposed to be? Is it 80 percent? You think you think it with with uh, with proper masking, you reduce viral spread by 80 percent. That's that's delusional, given what we've seen going on across the country. Delusional. They'll never admit they'll never admit it, though, because so many of the people that push for this stuff, it's become a religion for them and also. They really think that they really thought they were smarter than everybody else. So it's the same thing that Russia collusion delusion people 
They thought that they they saw that conspiracy. They thought they were smarter than everybody else, that Trump was really working with Putin to steal the election. And, you know, just because they're so smart that they believed it. When you can take belief and mix it with ego, you have in an, an impenetrable shield of idiocy. When you can pull those two, when you can pull those two, uh, two things together, you create a belief and then you mix it with the ego of that individual that I believe this because I'm smart ne- n- will never change, will never change.